Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast where we like to explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. This is your your number one best graduate student buddy, Brandon Saxon. <laughs> and your maybe number one professor pal, Katie. Professor Pal, that was a good, that was a good poll. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm actually. This is exciting to me. I am drinking out of a travel mug that says Jedi Council on it. It is from our um, merchandise section. We started to sell some of the stuff. So far, there's not a lot being sold. Just a few items. Just a few, but I'm well, okay, okay with that. But if anyone out there is interested in getting one of these. Jedi Council things. There are shirts and there are mugs and onesies for your baby Jedi Council fan. I think we're having our first lab baby in my lab here at graduate school, and I think that baby's actually getting a onesie. Perfect. I know that the uh, my friend uh, Taraki, who's not a usual listener of the show, unfortunately, to the to the to the deficit of our friendship, <laughs> uh, so she won't be hearing this to ruin the surprise. But yeah, I think she's getting one of those for her. I like she's that. expecting in a couple weeks. So. I like that. There are stickers too, which we mm-hmm. maybe we'll order some and give, give away. But that's actually a cool idea. But you know, it's anyway. So I'm doing well. I'm enjoying drinking out of this mug. And if you out there are interested, um, you can go to our website, and there's a link where you can find all this fun stuff. And, and if you're not interested, if times are if times are tight like they get for everyone and you can't afford to get that merch, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You can still support the Jedi Council show by just leaving a quick review or just tweeting about it. Mm-hmm. That's like, we've. I just love the nice things people tweet about our show. It, mm-hmm. Like, oh, I just found the show. It re- looks really interesting. I don't know if they ever listen again or actually even do listen, but once they see the Twitter, it's kind of cool. So yeah, it makes me feel good, and ultimately, that's what's important. That's what this is all about, that's Brandon. Is, is that you feel about. good? Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's working. It is. It's. It makes me happy too. So yeah, I agree. Those are some nice ways to support the show if you like it and don't want to spend quite commit to the level of spending money on a mug, right? With our faces on it, our superhero faces. Our superhero faces. Yeah, not just like a huge blown <laughs> picture of my face. We're not quite to that level of self-centeredness no, yeah i'm close well yeah there's time your version i did notice you uploaded just a picture of your own face yeah. and ordered that I, <laughs> I felt weird about it i hope <laughs> you weren't gonna notice or mind but uh yeah and so anyway you know what's extra weird is i ordered one of those is that kind of cool? oh yeah geez <laughs> now that i think about it that is extra I just weird to ratchet up the <laughs> creepiness a little bit it's ratchet all right, Katie. Uh, let's. We so may have gotten off topic. We may have gotten off topic, which this is what happens when we don't have guests. Exactly. The last two weeks, we've been so fortunate to have Dr. Robert Gordon and Dr. Wendy Troop Gordon, who are respectively, uh, Rob is a cognitive psychologist, Wendy is a developmental psychologist, and we had them in here talking to us about myths, specifically related to things that they were, Rob taught a class on myths, so there were some things that he knew about from his background in cognition, and Wendy talked to us about bullying and some myths related to bullying, and so it's been really interesting to meet with these people, but now that they're not here, we don't have any structure anymore, so it's just... All to the wind. Just totally wild. Just Don't to, know what's going to happen next. Yep, back to a random Jedi console, that mm-hmm. random humor that we have. No, we're going to continue that conversation. Uh, so we, you're halfway through our myth miniseries, I think, unless something weird changes. This week we're going to... Which we've been known to do. Sometimes we, we don't estimate correctly. We, d- we try our best. We're new. Yeah, we're exactly. This. Where's the microphone? Where do I even talk? <laughs> no. Uh, this week we're going to talk about mental health myths, and next week we're going to talk about myths related to forensic psychology, so maybe things like uh, criminal profiling. That's a topic that's really of interest to people, and not a topic that we're experts in, but we'll do the reading so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. But this week, mental health myths, that's a little more in our wheelhouse, I would say, mm-hmm. as uh, people with clinical training and clinical experience. Um, so that's going to be the topic of today. First things first, we haven't done current events in a couple of weeks because we've had guests and, and their time is more valuable than ours, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, speak for uh, yourself. Yeah, geez. Uh, <laughs> I'm just canceling that mug I ordered. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fair. So, um, current events. I saw, I finally got a chance to see Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought that was really good. Guardians of the Galaxy 2. 
uh, Baby Groot is hilarious, and maybe when the time comes, we're kind of backlogged on topics, uh, so I don't know when we'll get to Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but hopefully before Guardians of the Galaxy 3 comes. <laughs> That's what we'll aim for. I am going to try to see it next week once all my grades are turned in for the semester so that I can have uh, some contributions to that conversation. Yeah. That sounds great. And other than that, it's uh, we're kind of closing down on our Wonder Woman watch. WWW, mm-hmm. the Jedi <laughs> Council, Triple W, Wonder Woman watch. Uh, so I think that's coming up next week. Wonder Woman is will be seeing that. So I am really excited about that. I've been sort of tweeting a lot about it, too. So I'm sure folks know. And you have been, too. I so. am thrilled that it's going to be out soon and we'll definitely devote an episode to that and talk all about it after we see it which will be as quickly as possible after it comes out yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. i uh so far i've only seen one early screening review uh that gave the film a four out of five and just to give a frame of reference the same group gave batman vs superman a two out of five okay so it's not really just like a dc apologist or anything Mm -hmm. like that they seem to genuinely like the film um, despite its connection to that universe. So, yeah, that's promising. That is very promising. That's good. And, you know, another thing that we haven't talked about was Free Comic Book Day, right? Or did we talk about that? We haven't talked about okay. Free Comic Book Day. What was your favorite comic that you got? I got a Buffy comic from Dark Horse Comics, which was really cool. I it, This wasn't a free comic, but, oh, by the way, the, um, the Rebirth... One of the Rebirth Wonder Woman comics was made free, too. It was the version where the artwork is by Nicola Scott, Nicola Scott, and the um, writing is by Greg Rucka, and I recommend to anyone who'd want to pick that up to check it out. I bought the trade of Volume 1 and Volume 2 of Rebirth Wonder Woman. They were both really good, which I think I mentioned before. On Free Comic Book Day, I also got uh, Batgirl and Birds of Prey, which I enjoyed very much. And I haven't read all of my free comics yet, but that Buffy one was a good start. How about you? Um, I There was a couple I liked. I liked the Rick and Morty one. I'm a pretty big fan of Rick and Morty. I got I, that, but didn't read it okay. yet. Okay. That's a show that we've had suggested to us a few times that we talk about on the air, which you have never seen. Have I got that right? No, but I did add it to my Hulu list or queue or whatever they yeah. call it because you like it and because we've had so many suggestions I thought I should watch it so we can talk about it. I've got a really good selling point for you that okay. I think is going to usher in the Rick and Morty era for you. Okay. Kevin Smith loves it. <gasps> yeah, he's, he's been tweeting taste. about it. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. It's pretty, like, raunchy kind of humor, so it kind of fits Makes into that. Makes sense that Kevin Smith yeah, likes it. <laughs> it does. I, I think that that's all the disclaimer I really have to give is Kevin Smith likes it, and that's probably, you know what I mean about that. So. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Rick and Morty, that one was pretty good, but my favorite one was actually the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ones, which I have a friend who's a pretty big fan of that, so I got him a copy as well. But oh, nice. Yeah. They were out of that by the time that I got to the free comics. Oh, yeah. That, I think that, that was a good one. And then I actually grabbed a copy of Preacher for, that was from oh. last year. There was just a couple of them from last year, so I got oh. a copy of Preacher. Oh, nice. Because I f- recently finished the first season of Preacher, so I thought that was pretty cool yeah. to pick up a copy of that. Oh, cool. So, yeah, it was pretty good, mm-hmm. but I think that's all I've got for current events. How about you, Katie? I think that's it. So, I have a, I have a question for you, Katie. Uh, what the, the Justice League, let's just talk about them for a second. What do you think it is about the Justice League that makes them so great? I'm, and I didn't warn you about this question. No. I think that... Off the top of my head, they each have different strengths and abilities, so they, when they work together, they can conquer even huge threats and monsters because of their combined talents. That, that's exactly the point I was going oh. to try to illustrate, so well done. <laughs> uh, I think you're exactly right. They all have their own strengths, and they each bring something to the table. And we've, been, we've had some experts on the show lately, but it's time to, to take a look in the mirror and think about what are we experts on. You are a real expert. I'm just a pretend expert still. Um, and, and try to turn it to clinical psychology for a little bit. So we've talked about clinical psychology in this show before. Uh, we have one episode specifically on it, and it's sort of inundated in every episode a little bit, yeah. given the nature of the show. But maybe And who we are. And who we are, yeah. too. Uh, 
clinical psychology is one of these interesting things, and let me know what you think about this, but it's one of these interesting professions that sort of becomes a part of your identity, I mm-hmm. think, which is kind of something special about it, that I think there's probably a lot of professions that are like that, but I only have one, so I can only speak to one. But um, So I thought it might be good to start things off with just talking about our experiences and who we are, what, what is, maybe talk a little bit about what does it take to become a clinical psychologist before we, to kind of, I want to prove that we can talk about these myths. <laughs> no, I, I thought that might be interesting. And just, I know that we've been picking up new listeners uh, all the time, which is so exciting. So maybe just a, we could do that to remind people about kind of who we are and what, and, and what our experiences maybe. I think it's a good idea, especially during Mental Health Awareness oh, yeah. Month. One of the main things that is important is that, well, there are just so many different branches and types of professionals who are in mental health and each has their own kind of particular angle and strengths and things like that and so it's maybe worth talking about what our background is because that certainly informs our opinions and the information that we're giving on the show like you said. I think it's important that you just point that out because I think even and I'm sure you've had this experience and I've even had it too when I've had students and classes talk to me hey you know Brandon I'm interested in going to graduate school I want to become a psychologist and I say, well, that's really great. Um, but they don't actually even have any awareness that there are tons of paths to going into clinical or mental health-related work uh, careers. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I dissuade them from clinical psychology by any means, but uh, I think it's important that you at least explore all the options. So it's interesting that even individuals who might be thinking about applying to graduate school, it, it's even hard for anyone to sort of understand the complexity because there's so many different titles and degrees and paths that I think it, it is good to sort of just slow down and say, who are we and where do we come from? I, which is the point you already made, but I just said it again, but in a longer, uh, more diluted way. <laughs> I think you said it in a clear way, and it actually reminded me of something else, too, which is sometimes I'll, this is mostly comes up in the capacity of students asking for career advice, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll say, you know, I really am interested in psychology. I think the research is super interesting, but I don't want to be a therapist like I care about that stuff but I don't see myself doing that and so even within psychology you can have people who are social psychologists or who focus on neuroscience and so they might have that training but they're focusing on the research aspects and not necessarily well often not in mental health they're usually looking at other aspects of it so that even further complicates the picture and geek therapy actually did an episode about this for mental health awareness month and so i thought it was a good idea to also clarify on our podcast about some of this stuff yeah uh probably uh just to sort of keep things concise, because I think yeah. we're going to get to the mental health miss, we'll probably focus specifically on clinical psychology today, because it's the thing that we're both trained in, and we certainly know the most about. Um, but if there are other questions that people have about other professions, uh, either within mental health or even the subdivisions of psychology, we're happy to ask them to the best of our ability or refer you to a resource. And we'll put a link in there. There's uh, someone named Mitch Princeton, who's a clinical psychologist, mm-hmm. who he wrote... I give this to a lot of my students, I direct them to this resource, wrote a free PDF that's available on the website that's called, I think it's called Mitch's Uncensored Grad School Advice. Mm -hmm. And there's a particular section talking about different types of mental health fields and psychology. I'm guessing because he got similar questions and people want to know what their options are. So we can direct people to that. And that also gives a nice overview if you're interested. And if you're not interested... And you don't have to click on the link. Yeah, that's how links work. Mm-hmm. You can click them if you want to, but they're not. Uh, they're they not mandatory. For, they're not mandatory. They don't open automatically yet. Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. This, sh- this show's going down the tubes. We didn't have those guests back on. <laughs> All right. Uh, Katie, wanna, do you want to start us off and t- <laughs> when you can catch your, when you can c- maintain your composure? Tell, do you want to start by talking about your background and then I can talk a little bit about mine? And it might be interesting because we, even though we have, I think, similar trainings, maybe the perspectives are a little different as someone who is already into your career and established and as someone who's just sort of floundering around hoping I have a career someday. <laughs> well, that's not how I would characterize the differences, but okay. As someone who's who graduated a right. few years ago. Um, so I actually 
When I was an undergraduate, I initially, I've mentioned before, my father is a marriage and family therapist, and I was interested in doing therapy. And then as an undergraduate, I did an honors thesis project where I got to do some examining of eating disorders within a scientific context, and I thought that was really cool. Do people know what an honors thesis project is? No. I, th- I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. It's okay. it's a project. It's an optional project mm-hmm. that you can do. It's your own research. Thanks for yep. pointing that out. It's your own research project, and a lot of universities offer that to undergraduate students. Yep. And At so, the end of your bachelor's degree. Yeah, you c- exactly. Yep. And it's a good opportunity for people who have some interest in research to be mentored Mm -hmm. and see if they like doing research. And so for me, I I did like it, and I decided to pursue clinical psychology, a PhD in clinical psychology, because that meant that I could continue examining interests that I felt a lot of passion about, um, specifically finding ways to better understand eating disorders and suicidal behavior through scientific research, but that I would also get training as a therapist, and that was really important to me. And one of the things that I particularly like about clinical psychology, among many things, which is why I chose it, but is that there is a lot of emphasis on this idea that you have to be kind of, it's been called different things, but it used to be called scientist practitioner model, sometimes it's a clinical scientist. The idea is that you understand the scientific literature and it forms your the type of treatment that you do, And you do that by taking classes that train you on research and statistics and things like that. But you're also required to have supervised training and courses on doing therapy and assessment and testing for people um, struggling with mental health issues usually. Can can I jump mm -hmm, in really quick? Of course. So I think that might be a good spot for Mm -hmm. our first myth. Mm -hmm. And because this is a myth I've encountered before too, or not too, but I'm curious if Mm -hmm. you have as well. Uh, particularly with uh, students who are seeking graduate school advice or even people who are asking me about my experiences, what I do, who say, oh, you're clinical psychology, and they sort of hear that word clinical, and they go, so you're just really doing mostly the research side. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the, so there's different emphasis between different programs, but the standard is that there's very rigorous clinical training. Mm-hmm. But the becoming a therapist is absolutely a, a major part of it, in addition to the uh, the research part of it. So, And like I said, some programs emphasize some a little more than others of mm-hmm. that, um, but it, it's absolutely, uh, there, there's training in both aspects um, of the sort of career and what it encompasses. Yeah, so we're, right, we're trained by taking classes on it, and then we're required to do a certain number of practicum hours. Usually it's a minimum of um, two years of supervised experience mm-hmm. a couple of days a week, but often it's more than that. And then before we can graduate in clinical psychology, you're required to do a year where you're full-time mm-hmm. intern who is acting primarily the focus is on clinical training. And so you what it, what appealed to me about that is a couple things. One is that I could work with people who were suffering from the issues I was trying to study scientifically so it informs my science and it makes and it held me to make sure that the research I was doing would have some clinical implications. Secondly, it just provides options if I wanted mm-hmm. to be full-time therapist. A lot of people do both and that yep. that appealed to me. And So often if I have students who are asking me about what they want to do and their interest in psychology, but they say, but I don't want to be a professor or I don't like research that much, often I'll recommend a different type of program than PhD clinical psychology because if you don't like doing research, it's... I don't think it's a good fit. And so yeah. sometimes, you know, um, within clinical psychology, there's a degree called a PsyD. And while there are some research training requirements, they are usually less because mm-hmm. they're, um, it's not as much of the emphasis of the program. And correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. it's more of a, a focus on the consumption and understanding of research right. than the production or conducting research. Am I I characterizing that right? Yes, and so there's some requirements there, but it's usually less. The Mm -hmm. clinical training, on average, is is the expectations are similar for PsyD and PhD, but PhD usually has more research requirements. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the other thing I'll do is sometimes recommend that undergraduate students pursue master's 
types of programs in counseling or social work or couples and family therapy, marriage and family therapy, and that way they feel like they can more, some of them don't want to stay in school for as long as, as PhDs hmm. take, and also it's a better match for what they want to do. Sorry, you should have come to me <laughs> instead of whoever you went to. And um, so it's, it's nice that there are so many options, and I feel grateful for the fit here. But now I've just talked for a long time and reminiscing about grad school and all that stuff. But anyway, that's that's been my basic training. And, and how about you? Um, yeah, so obviously the training is somewhat similar just in the fact that I'm still pursuing the degree that you have. But I did my undergraduate degree here at North Dakota State and got involved with research my second year with Dr. Paul Rocky, who is uh, the department or uh, director of clinical training for the clinical program here at NDSU. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so my junior year, I got involved with him and really took to the research process. I'm sort of, uh, uh, if I can you know, sort of sum myself up, kind of a detail-oriented kind of person. I like to be organized. And there wasn't a graduate student in the lab at that time, so I kind of just naturally became a little bit of a leader, and he kind of formally made that official as part of it. Um, as a in a lab coordinator position, so I got involved with research fairly early on. I mean, my second or third year of graduate or undergraduate, and then I uh, was interested in. I did an honors thesis, like you did, uh, looking at some emotional influences on attention, something that I studied for years afterwards, and uh, really enjoyed that. And I applied to some different graduate schools, but I was hoping that I would get in at NDSU to continue that work with Dr. Rocky and and. Also, it's just sort of nice when you're established in an area that you can stick around. Um, And that's what happened. So I started my PhD here at NDSU right away. And I'm currently just finished my fourth year. So I'll be starting my fifth year of my PhD this year, which will hopefully consist of finishing my dissertation and uh, finding an internship for my sixth year, which, like you talked about, is that year-long uh, internship process or you know position. Um, I'm mostly all done with my practicum hours, so I've worked at a couple of different places here in Fargo, uh, doing a variety of experiences related to clinical work, including individual therapy, group therapy, a lot of testing and assessment, uh, and with a variety of different populations. And um, and my research has shifted now too, of course. Uh, I don't do as much of the emotion and tension stuff, and now I'm focused more on vulnerability to suicide and depression. Um, so it's kind of I've kind of evolved a little bit as I've been here, and uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I mean. And and, and not to go into the nitty gritty of the training, you already covered it really nicely. But that's kind of my my path. So just finished my eighth year of school, which is nice. So two more, including that internship year. Then hopefully. Uh, if anyone's hiring out there, you can just let me know. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it is, like you said, it's, it's uh, it, one thing that sort of surprised me if I can just kind of talk about my training that I think is probably fairly consistent, uh, at least along, among my colleagues or my lab mates who I know well, is that uh, you have, you kind of get it's uncomfortable right away because you wear a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, okay, now I'm training, I'm working on my clinical work. Then it's the next day I'm back on campus and i got to hang up the clinical work hat, put on my researcher cap. Well, but now I'm teaching, so i got to get on my teaching hat. And we're trained uh, in how to be effective instructors and, and monitored in that way. Um, so it is, it's kind of a lot of roles and it's learning, at least for me, and I think I, I honestly probably really didn't figure out how to juggle it that well until this year and I, I think it's still like something that I've talked to a lot of people that they say yeah time management and multiple responsibilities it's just hard to manage but yeah I, I think that's very true for for a lot of people and maybe especially in graduate school because it is so different than undergraduate school and then um and a lot of positions I think that's something that people continue to have to struggle with and work mm-hmm. on throughout their lives. Yeah. I mean, you'll know everything by next year. That's the hope. <laughs> Once I go on intern, I'll be squared away. And everything will be fine. Um, one of the other things that sometimes um, I've had and occasionally people say to me, and they don't mean it in a mean way at all, but they'll say, you know, I'm interested in psychology, but I don't want to do what you do. I want to help people. Whoa. <laughs> no, <shots> like, fired. <laughs> no, I mean it. I don't think that they're trying no. to be mean at all. I think that they're talking about wanting to do individual therapy with people and stuff like that. And so sometimes I talk about how, um, you know, how, how that can be part of the job and how it, how it can be flexible, but also research and teaching and stuff like that. And so it's... It's kind of an unusual thing because even within psychology departments, I think other t- 
types of psychology, you know, there's there's a difference in the types of training. There's such specific, I mean, even getting accreditation from the American Psychological Association, there are specific requirements for clinical psychology mm-hmm. programs, and that's different from other programs. So anyway, hopefully we didn't bore you t- <laughs> too much, but thought we'd, <laughs> well, me anyway. If Brandon bored you, that's okay. Um, Whoa, <laughs> I'm never bored. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, that's a little bit more about our backgrounds. Yeah, and sort of just to set the stage, and, and like I said, I, primarily if folks are new, I think a lot of people kind of yeah. know who we are and what we're doing, but not welcome to the show if not. And also, I do think it talks about like where where we're coming from when our lens when we're discussing issues on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I don't know if we've ever spent a significant amount of time talking I about don't think training so. or yeah. actually the, the training of a clinical psychologist as it is. So. Yeah, and so I think the way that it that it particularly comes out in this podcast is that both of us have been trained to rely on scientific evidence strongly when we're mm-hmm. trying to understand human behaviors. Yes, it doesn't explain everything, but yeah. we that's kind of our mindset. I think that comes out in the podcast. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, in just re-listening to the podcast, and I'm sure other people have listened to this, we're always pretty particular, like, uh, if we know of research specifically, we don't always like drop the specific citation in. Right. But we'll say, oh, yeah, I read this study that sort of said this. Um, but then we're always really careful when we don't know of any research. And it's, we're very clear about, oh, and we're kind of, I'm speculating or I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Or we, I don't know for sure, but I could imagine. I know that's something I say a lot. I could imagine. Um, so I think that probably, if people have heard that and say, well, why don't they know anything or aren't they confident? Well, that's probably kind of where it's coming from. We like to sort of be certain about what we're saying before we'll say it in a concrete way maybe. And it's because of that sort of, that, uh, I don't want to say reliance, but that trust and sort of like, okay, what's the literature telling us? And that's, that really guides our, you know, our approach to clinical work and of course to science. I mean, that's just a natural part of the process. And it's been, that's a big part of our training is to be very specific about what what we know and what we don't know and be precise about that. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. why we're saying that. I don't think that's um, that's not our usual conversation, but when we're talking about this stuff, I think it's important, and that's yeah. where it comes from. Absolutely. So that's a great spot to maybe transition into. We kind of hit one of those myths or a couple of them sort of related mm-hmm. to our field maybe that we're cold or maybe we, we don't have that nice warmth, we don't know how to connect to people or something like that or maybe related to our training. So now we got quite a few interesting myths tweeted at us that people are maybe interested in hearing a little bit more about. Maybe we should dive in on those. Okay, our first myth that we're going to start off with, uh, actually there's a couple there, I think, is someone uh, which I think will maybe just use their first names that they tweeted at us, even though their Twitter handles are public. We... We just like, I want to respect that confidentiality as much as we can. So Lauren tweeted at us. One of the things she tweeted at us was, once you achieve mental wellness, medications are no longer necessary. So I, I'm just going to send this one right over to you, Dr. Gordon. <laughs> Thanks. Almost, Dr. Saxton. <laughs> um, so Is that a title? Almost. almost can I start introducing um, myself sure. as that? I think so. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's almost. I don't think that's a protected title. <laughs> that's actually a good point. And maybe something we should talk about another time is protected titles, yeah. which is interesting. But, mm-hmm. but not today. <laughs> okay. We, we're just, we're 30 minutes in, we're getting to the myths. <laughs> just getting to the main content here. Um, so, so okay, I, I'm going to go about this a couple different ways. Yes. But not too long. Um, so, once you achieve mental well, wellness, medications are no longer necessary. Okay, so... The idea, I think, behind this, and if I'm misinterpreting this, please tweet at me, Lauren, but is that, like, let's say someone is being treated for depression and they're being prescribed. Oh, and I want to say before this, a disclaimer, after all we've said, um, if you have any mental health or physical health or medication concerns, please see professionals. We're going to talk about it from kind of an educational standpoint and what we know about it, but... This isn't a good source for advice on your own personal situation. For mm-hmm. that, you should really contact a mental health professional or your medical doctor. Yep. So just wanted to put that out there. But generally speaking, let's imagine a scenario where someone has depression and they're prescribed an antidepressant medication, and they're taking it, and they start to feel better. And then they get off, they stop taking the medication because they say, I feel better. That can be problematic because... 
what can happen is the person, it can be problematic for a few ways, but one of the main ways that it can be problematic is that the person is then susceptible to relapsing and having their depression symptoms come back. What we know from the research is that individuals who have a combination, this is, has to do with depression, it depends a little bit on the disorder, but when it comes to depression, if people also have therapy along with their medications, when they come off of the medications, there's a lower risk of relapsing. And that's thought to be due to the fact that there are tools that are taught in specific types of therapy so that the person can apply those. Nonetheless, you shouldn't get off medication without whoever's prescribing it, giving you guidance on how to taper off of it or what when is appropriate. So anyway, I, it's... I mean, even with antibiotics, this happens where sometimes people, they're prescribed antibiotics, their ear infection feels better, they stop taking it, and it comes back. So the doctor always says, make sure to take it all the way through, even if you're feeling better. And you mm-hmm. create antibiotic-resistant strains. So please don't do that. Yes. Finish your antibiotics. For multiple reasons. Yeah. I, Sorry. Yes. I just, no, no. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned yeah. that. That is another major reason for that. Exactly. Um, now, however, there are times when there are certain disorders on average that do better if the person is on medication for long term. So some of the things that we know from research is, again, it's on average. There are individual cases that are exceptions for sure. But in general, people who have bipolar 1 disorder, which is the more severe version of bipolar, we go into more detail on our episode about Carrie Fisher, on average, tend to do better if they're on medications and also taking therapy. People who have schizophrenia, on average, tend to do better if they stay on medications, and if they get off of it, they can often relapse. And often those individuals are getting therapy, too, in addition to it, but it can be a situation where they benefit from staying on a medication regimen. With depression and anxiety, it varies more depending on the case and kind of seeing how the individual person responds to it. And there are some types of mental health concerns where medications don't seem to lead to a better outcome either, which is kind of relevant to the second myth, and I'll just kind of tie that one in too. And the myth is that if you go to a therapist, they'll force you to take medications. Mm -hmm. I have had people come to me and say, you know, I'm struggling with this issue, but I don't want to get on medications. One thing is that they often misunderstand the effects of medications. And that's a concern. They think it's going to make it not them or in a zombie state or something like that. There you, are, I hear that word a lot, specifically yes. that word zombie. I it, don't want to be a zombie. Exactly. And so I, there are side effects of medication and there are things that people want to consider, but there are also people on medications who say that they feel more like themselves. Yes. And um, so it's very, again, individualized to the person. But the point is that a therapist should not force you to take medications. They might advise based on your condition that you see a medical doctor or psychiatrist to see if the medications would help, but they will also offer therapy type therapeutic ways, non-medication ways to address the problem. And often when it comes to things like depression or anxiety, there is evidence on average, again, that therapy and medications can be equally effective. And so it's very defensible to use the therapeutic intervention. If the person doesn't want to use medications, they don't have to use it. There are also some situations where the therapeutic intervention, non-medication, I guess I'm mixing my terms here, but um, is more effective than the medication intervention. So for example, if people have a specific phobia, like if they're afraid of bunnies like Anya from Buffy and they get really scared and distressed and avoid things because they're afraid of bunnies, um, The if you prescribe them a medication for it, that doesn't tend to be as effective as doing something called exposure therapy, which we talked about in our anxiety episode in more detail, but basically having the person go through a series of steps where they're confronting their feared stimulus, the bunny in this case, and seeing a decrease in that. So the point is that First of all, a therapist can't force you to do anything. If, if No one can force you to take medications except in very unusual situations where the person is literally at harm to themselves or others or can't take care of themselves. But that 
and that varies by state, but it's usually a pretty high bar. Um, and if you go to a therapist and talk to them, most of them will talk to you about the variety of non-medication options. So I would hate to think of people not seeking help because they're afraid that they're going to be forced to take medications mm -hmm. when they leave. And most therapists, depending on their background, unless they're a psychiatrist, they can't or, you know, they have some other medical degree, they can't prescribe you medications anyway. They should be referring you, like if you see a psychologist, they have to refer you to someone who specializes in medication. Absolutely. So another myth that Lauren suggested, a mm -hmm. third one, and she actually said it's a number, but just for sake of time, we just kind of grabbed a mm -hmm. sampling, um, is that mental health should only be discussed with mental health professionals because uh, only they can help you. Um, I'm not going to just throw this one back to you because <laughs> I don't want to just force you to talk all the time. So I'll talk a little bit, and then you can correct me if you need to. Uh, <laughs> where's my confidence at today? I Jeez. don't know. It's the end of the semester. I think I'm it's because we weak. talked about all of the humility we have to have as scientists That's when true. we learned that we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have a couple of responses uh -huh. to this myth, and I want to approach it from a couple of different ways. So just to reiterate it one more time without my distractions, mental health should be only discussed with mental health professionals because only they can provide help. So um, one thing that we know is social support is just incredibly important, and there are numerous health benefits uh, to receiving social support and numerous health uh, implications or, or negative health outcomes for people who are experiencing excessive loneliness. We talked about this in a previous episode as well, the danger of loneliness. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it's important that if you need help or if you're struggling uh, with certain problems that you reach out to people that you care about and that you trust. Um, with that being said, though, it's important to distinguish between uh, receiving social support and getting services because if there's a point where you're experiencing a level of functional impairment, and that's just to say that the symptoms that you're experiencing are impacting your life in a negative way, they're keeping you from getting to work or getting to school or accomplishing the things you need to do or connecting with others, and if you're experiencing that distress component because of the symptoms you're having, then it's important that if you're in a situation where you need help, you do reach out to a professional because that's going to be someone who's going to have the specific training and the specific intervention to really help with that problem. So I know I'm, I'm, it's kind of, I'm, I don't want to feed into the myth or say I'm agreeing with it. It's of course important to talk to people about your issues. Um, but you, there is a, t like I said, there's that differentiation between getting social support and getting specific interventions from a professional. Yeah. Very well said. And, you know, uh, Lauren, if we're not interpreting these right, I know it's sometimes hard in a tweet to put everything in Very there. Very limited. I, then, yeah, yeah. Then, then let us know. But, yes, I, I agree with you. In fact, I, I know you've had this experience, too. If a student comes to me with a mental health concern, even though we are trained to do mm -hmm. therapy and interventions, I'm not in that role with them. I'm a professor right. or a teacher, so my job at that point is I will talk to them about their mental health concerns and express concern, but my goal is to link them up with someone who can provide them with services, even if it means getting evaluated and, and things like that, because really that's important. There are people who reach out to um, clergy or other mm -hmm. types of people for advice, and I think that's important and helpful, but like you said, if you're looking for therapeutic interventions, it's important to get someone who's been trained on specifically how to do those things. And I think it's important to consider this from the perspective of the person who's being reached out to as well. Mm -hmm. If you as a, a, just a, a person or a friend or a colleague are having someone that you know reaching out to you for these help, of course it's important to support them and be there for them. But like you pointed out, it's important to know roles and to sort of be careful about what hat you're wearing because uh, if someone does need mental health services, that's what they need then. Um, and social support can't provide the same effects as specific interventions can. Yeah, I, I've had the other, another thing that I have had people ask me about, including students, is they have someone in their life who's struggling and they want to help them, and they feel like maybe they're psychology majors or something, like they should be doing more. And often right. what they're doing is great. They're listening, they're spending time with the person, and we kind of talk about, but there are limits. You can't be this person's therapist. That's not really how it how it works and sometimes that's helpful to them because even you know even people who are trained as therapists you we have rules about not being your friend or family member's mm -hmm. therapist because it doesn't really work that way and so um I, I agree with you that it's important to talk about those things and get social support but if you're getting interventions delivered it's important to have someone who is trained on that 
Yeah, absolutely. Great, uh, great summary. So just to keep on cruising, uh, the someone tweeted us, their username is I love my shepherd. So I, that's just what I'll refer to them as, which is a little different than the first name basis I promised earlier. So I'm a I lied a little, but it was an accident. Uh, there, well, it's not really a personal lesson, well, so it's still consistent. Yeah, good call. Mm-hmm. So uh, the myth that they tweeted us was talk therapy is all the same, which I, I think was a little bit longer, but just to sum, kind of summarize, and, and we have bad habits of just rambling on, so just to keep us driving <laughs> forward. Uh, talk therapy is not all the same. Um, there's actually a variety of different sorts of therapy. So we've talked about different ones on this show in a variety of different uh, situations. So I think that at its core, sometimes there's a misconception of what therapy really is. Um, for example, I don't know if you've ever heard this, Katie, but I've heard people say, oh, in therapy, you're just sort of talking. Like, well, I, there's sort of the stereotypical, well, how does that make you feel sort right. of line. Uh, it's actually a much more involved process. Uh, so uh, for therapy, a lot of times what I tell people about is, uh, you know, I want to teach you some new skills and I want to teach you how to think about the world a little bit differently and think about yourself differently and maybe think about the people around you a little bit differently so that you can actually eventually be your own therapist and you can do these things for yourself. So it's very much about skill building in my mind in a lot of approaches because you're sort of identifying where do they want to be, what are the obstacles preventing them from getting there, and what are the impair, you know, the skills deficits maybe that are preventing them from overcoming those obstacles. So in my mind you know and of course it's more involved in and there are different types but it's a lot of skills building mm-hmm. yeah and i would also say collaborative problem solving oh, you absolutely. know and a lot of it depends on their issue too because sometimes like if someone we talk about complicated grief in a previous episode and sometimes with that there is a certain way of talking about it but it's not the same as other types of conversations right. you're helping the person process their grief and it is checking with how they feel and stuff like that but it's it's more than that and like you're saying importantly there are different types of therapy mm-hmm. there are some that are more feel like uh, the person comes and vents and you bestow some wisdom on them the type of therapy that we're trained and intend right. to deliver is focusing on what how can we work together with this person to find a way for them to navigate the challenges right. in front of them? And those goals are mutually agreed upon, yeah. you know, together. And so often when I ask clients, like, what experiences have you had before? I'm trying to gauge what would be most helpful for them in our work together. They will say things like, um, I had talk therapy. And it, and it really takes digging in more into the details to figure out exactly what it was that they did and whether that was helpful or not. Yeah, and what you can do different. Exactly. And and we've talked about this before, too, but there are specific types of treatments that have scientific evidence that they're effective for particular types of mental health problems. So if we're talking about someone having panic disorder where they're just having recurrent panic attacks and other problems associated with that, there is there are different approaches, but there are some which have been scientifically tested and shown to be more effective. Mm-hmm. And so it's not all treatments have been shown to be equally effective, which is a point of debate in the mental health broader field. But yeah. that's where we're coming that's from. That's the approach. That's the training that we sort of have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that kind of that science-based hypothesis testing approach yeah. that we sort of take. Um, and, of course, I, we've pointed and even linked to the website many times, but yeah. the Division 12 website that lists the, uh, the different various treatments for different disorders, that's a place that you can go and just sort of dig around a little bit and see what are the names of these mm-hmm. different disorders, or, or disorders, yes, but specifically what I meant was treatments because it's not just, uh, you know, I'm doing therapy, but maybe you could, for example, oh, I'm working with this client doing cognitive behavior therapy to challenge their uh, negative thoughts that are leading to major depressive disorder, for one example. Exactly, and we'll link to that again if you want to take a look and you can see how the different types of therapy, at least the ones that are involved, and this is from a clinical psychology division, but you can yes. see how those therapies specifically differ from each other. And it's a good thing there are different options because some, if a treatment's not working, that means that it's not that all quote-unquote talk therapy doesn't work. It means that particular thing doesn't work and that there are other things that you can try to get mental health benefits from. All right, let's keep cruising. Uh, So our good friend Desiree, uh, she Facebooked at us, I think. This was not a tweet. Am I remembering that right? I think so. Uh, Saying that holiday spikes, uh, or holiday sort of times, you see spikes or increases in suicide. 
uh, rates. That's a myth, right? That's a myth. Yeah, that's yes. a myth. Yeah, and that is really prominent oh, yeah. in pop culture. I've seen this all over yeah, the place. Yeah, yeah that I, it's Christmas time. That's yep, when suicides that's exactly right. go up and stuff like that. And I think the sort of the underlying false logic that perpetuates this is that people might get more lonely during the holidays when you're supposed to be spending time with loved ones or friends or whatever. And it's just, there's just not data to support it. No, it, it, there appears to be, although it's not clear why, but when you're looking at seasonal differences, there appears to be a spike in suicide rates in the spring. Mm-hmm. And But this myth will not go away. It's been around for a long time. It's a tough one. It was on Big Bang Theory a couple of years ago. Ah, Big was, Bang Theory. <laughs> and a couple other things. And, you know, there is some suggestion that the holidays could actually be protective because people are around their loved ones and have more connectedness and support mm-hmm. during that time. So not, uh, a little less to say about that one than some of the other ones that we went yeah. into a little more detail. But it's just... Here's the take on point. There's no data to support it. Uh, and just tweet about it that it's not true, and let's, let's just get together. Let's get it trending. To, for once, yeah, let's get this trending and, and, and prove this myth wrong. Or there is proof that it's wrong. Let's spread it. So challenge it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, our next myth. So Virginia, who's someone who's always so pleasant in like interacting with us and sharing our work, so she's so kind. Uh, she Facebooked us and said, people with mental health problems can't live full lives. I like this myth a lot. I don't, well, I don't like the myth. I like that. You she like bro- a good misconception. I like a good misconception. <laughs> no, I like that you shared it with us because mm-hmm. I think this is such an important one and such a prevalent one uh, in many different disorders and many different ways. I think there's this idea that you can kind of sort of see who is mentally ill. Uh, just the reality is, is that uh, mental illness impacts everyone, or. It, it can impact anyone, is what I should say. It's not specifically impacting everyone at every given time. It doesn't discriminate, right? It doesn't, it's a, it, a lot of people at varying levels of function can be affected by it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not like the uh, stereotypical presentation, which we'll talk about next time, often of this violent and right. these terrible things that make it even mm-hmm. harder for people to seek treatment. Mm-hmm. And if you do have, uh, if you are struggling with mental health problems, that's not sort of this uh, sentence that your life is over. Right. Of course you're going to be dealing with challenges. Uh, Of course what you're facing isn't easy. But there are people who are out there who are trained to help you. There are people who have experienced what you are experiencing and have gotten better. Mm -hmm. So there's hope out there for people who are struggling. Mm -hmm. And there's help out there for people who are struggling. Uh, You just have to find it. That's true. And and it does, as Virginia pointed out, it does take some extra work for people Mm -hmm. to have that. But, you know, it's, it's just... People, if you want a career, you want family, a lot of people who struggle with mental health issues can still have all of those things with the proper help and support in place. And so it's important to know that because I think that one factor that may lead into people denying that they're suffering from a mental health problem is they think that that means they're not going to be able to live the life that they want to lead. And I understand why that's very sad. But um, acknowledging something when it's there makes you able to actually address it better and have a greater chance of having a full life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So we're kind of closing up on the end here. So maybe unless you have anything else, we'll move on to our last myth for this episode. That sounds good. All right. So Julie, did she tweet at us or Facebook at us? Can you remind I think this was Facebook. Okay. So she wrote to us on Facebook and said, uh, how about the myth that someone who wants to die by suicide is going to do it eventually, so there's no point in helping and inter- or intervening? And this might be one that we maybe talked about before in our episodes about suicide, but it's certainly another uh, sort of prevalent myth. Uh, mm-hmm. This is one that you've heard as well, I assume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is one that you definitely see that there's, it's really just, it's just not accurate of course it's helpful and vitally important to intervene and uh, help someone who's experiencing suicidal ideation or who might be at risk for dying by suicide. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I want to reiterate another time because there's a, or another myth that we've talked about is this idea that if you ask someone about suicide, you'll put that idea in their head and there's just no evidence for that either. So if some if you are concerned about someone ask. You're not going to do any harm by asking. Are you thinking about suicide? Are you okay? Are you thinking about dying? Uh, and so, yeah, you, it's just so important to ask. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not doing any harm by helping them. I, I, and and you can save people. It, people 
uh, once their mind is made up to die by suicide, it's not stuck that way forever. Mm-hmm. You can intervene and help them get through that. That's right. And one of the ways that we know this is that there's research that people who survive suicide attempts often don't go on to attempt again, mm-hmm. or people who are feeling a high level of suicidal desire, but there's some kind of intervention that, that protects them, that they don't. Now, it's true there are some cases where people go on to die by suicide, but there are many cases where that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it really hurts public health efforts in suicide prevention to believe that there's nothing you can do to dissuade someone or deter them from dying by suicide. So that's why this myth is particularly harmful. Like, we shouldn't try it anyway because that's kind of right. their What's business. The point? Exactly. And so that's that's really one that uh, obviously it bothers me a lot that that persists. And in fact, Brandon and I were just uh, talking about a study earlier this week that came out where it was looking at individual like over hours, people's Mm -hmm. level of suicidal thoughts. And even within a few hours, the degree of intensity of suicidal desire. And this was with an inpatient mm-hmm. group. So this is a group that's at risk for suicide, mm-hmm. at higher risk than the general population. And within that group, there was still variation in suicidal thought. So if you can protect people from accessing means to kill themselves when they're at the highest risk, there there is some compelling evidence that they can be protected in the long term because their thoughts and feelings can change. And most importantly, mental disorders which are underlying that suicidal ideation, we have treatments for them. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you know, I understand could we prevent every single instance? Maybe not, and that's very, very sad. But we should sure try to, and we can sure prevent a lot of them. Absolutely. So I thought it might be kind of interesting to maybe talk about some pop culture therapist, but we are over 50 minutes already. Uh, So unfortunately, maybe this episode has a little less of the fictional characters and a little more of the mental health, but that's okay, I think. I think people enjoy the mental health, and as we sort of move through, I think we'll have more of the pop culture next week. I think we're going to talk a little bit about Silence of the Lambs and how Mm -hmm. that sort of plays in, and maybe Criminal Minds as well. So if you were tuning in for the the pop fiction, popular fiction? I don't think that's a term. It is now. Uh, sorry <laughs> about that. Trademarked yeah. Brandon, yep. almost Dr. Saxton. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's all I've got for today. I'm going to save my Pearl of Wisdom until the end of our myth series in the next episode. Do you have anything else for our listeners before we sign off, Katie? No, just keep sending myths our way because even mm-hmm. if we are doing a specific series on this, we're happy to throw in myths in the future to address I think so. I didn't check with Brandon before that. Even I'm, if that's I'm not, not okay the, with that, but you can, you can do that. <laughs> Even if that's not the main point of the episode, or at least we can certainly respond via Twitter or Facebook. Absolutely. Or and, email. Or email. Uh, absolutely. And as always, if you haven't checked out any of the other great shows on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network, please check those out. I include a little link in every episode so you can check those out they're all very good high quality folks all interested in doing the same thing that we do which is to talk about mental health and how it maybe relates to popular culture uh and just everything that sort of falls under that umbrella in a variety of different domains including comics gaming movies etc etc all the good stuff all the good (laughs) stuff so all right folks thank you so much for listening in and we'll we'll hear you you'll you'll hear us next time why am I struggling so much with sign I think lately? because we did two back-to-back podcast episodes in, during a very busy week. That's true. My That's just my guess. My just aren't here anymore. No, and it's, I, it's been a long week. I do love the podcasting, but it's true that it's, it's hard to stay as articulate all the way through. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't even say that statement. <laughs> all right. For folks who are still listening, we'll see, see you I next time. See, I have a great time. week. <laughs>